hello there, and welcome back to Vagabond Actors, where we're talking about acting and uh, problems that actors might face. Uh, as always, uh, my name is Brian Casp. I'm here in Prague, and uh, joining me is Gary Condis from London. Hello there. And Andrea Helene from Mallorca, Spain. Hola a todos. How is everybody? Muy bien, muy bien. Oh, bueno. Okay. okay, that's the extent of my Spanish. <laughs> Practically mine too. <laughs> yeah. Okay. A recent transplant to Spain. Uh, we'll we'll uh, we'll look forward to hearing more of the Spanish lessons as we go on. It hasn't been that long since we last talked, but uh, has anything uh, kicked your artistry in the pants uh, since we since we last talked? Andrea? Well, I'm dealing with a lot of real world problems, you know, at the moment, like many people are. Um, just trying to sort of pace myself through the day and not lose my mind. At the moment, I'm literally having my home in Los Angeles packed up and I'm not able to be there because of the situation. So it's a very... I'm sure nothing wrong will happen. It'll be fine, right? <laughs> nothing bad will happen. <laughs> I'm getting reassured of that. So I've been working on, you know, that mental and emotional piece of letting go of control which is an issue that certainly many of us come up against in acting and was one of my early issues. And uh, letting things be as they are, another acting issue. Putting my full attention on other people and my trust in them that they're going to step up to the task. So all of these things keep rising up for me and I, and I really have to walk myself through the conversation I find every day and say, okay, choose sunshine, choose faith choose to believe in it, choose not to be angry, enraged, frustrated at the situation, whatever it is. Um, so I'm just trying to sort of keep putting one foot in front of the other. And, and along the way, I'm finding lots of really lovely artistic pieces that people are creating that are giving me energy and sustenance, you know, whether it's, um, finding musical pieces or like this segment that John Krasinski has just been putting together called some good news. Have you guys heard of this? Yeah. I was actually going to talk about that for the end bit. Oh, there we go. I love it. Go, no, do it. Yeah. Go at the end. Uh, but you know, I'm, I find that I'm looking for some good news. I'm looking for that angle on things that's, um, that's going to keep me invigorated and remind me that I'll get through this short phase of logistical problems. And, um, and that now is the time when I should, you know, just keep my head down a little bit, you know? So I've been doing webinars and seminars and finding things out there that are, that are interesting. I just came across something today that Sundance Institute is, is offering, um, these free classes, which just look amazing in filmmaking and screenwriting and pitching and all of that. And so oh, there's lots of material out there that I'm trying to keep the other part of my brain that isn't working on boxes and donations <laughs> and storage facilities. Um, the other part of my brain, I'm trying to really keep engaged in lots of new possibilities. So that's where I am. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah, I think a lot of people, a lot of artists I'm, I'm reading on Twitter are bringing up that Shakespeare wrote King Lear mm -hmm. when he was quarantined in, this, in the 1600s and um, other, other great works have been created under quarantine. And I think, well, first of all, they didn't have the internet to distract them from just being at home. But I, I think a lot of people that I'm seeing are saying, you know, it's okay if you're not creating your masterwork in this time period mm -hmm. that you can, you can allow yourself to say, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to focus on one small thing, or I'm going to just get through this day, you know, uh, and that's okay that you don't have to be industrious all of the time, mm -hmm. even though technically, especially if you're not looking after little ones that you have the time where you're not supposed to be focused on something else. It's okay mm -hmm. to, to give yourself a break and to just say, you know what, I'm going to just get through the day and see how that takes me. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Right. What about you, Gary? Have you, have you encountered anything artistic? Well, this last couple of days, um, I started to go more introverted and more insular and kind of look at my own 
art rather than what anyone else was doing and, and how it's affecting me. And one big thing, strangely enough, very much related, and it's, you know, Andrea's, Andrea, sorry, is looking at, she's got this real world thing, but she's finding reverberations and she can relate to it in relation to her acting. And as you well know, um, or you probably are aware of that, our Prime Minister, Boris Johnson, is in intensive care. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And it started to get a bit serious and I started to be reminded of this issue of empathy mm-hmm. and started to remind me at least of what matters to me and who matters to me in my life. And as a result of that, it kind of, you know, obviously being who we are and what we do, we can't help but look at the real world and all the beautiful and tragic things that go on and then relate it back to ourselves as artists and actors in particular. And I started to go remind myself of, you know, my fuel and be honest about who I love and who I don't like and what I love and what I don't like and what I need and what my dreams and my aspirations are and what my relationships are. Because all of this is fuel. This is fuel for your acting. And also things change. It made me remember that things changed. You know, what I used to like or who I used to love has changed and life changes. And as a result, the fuel for your technique, your acting technique will change also, which is, that's a great thing if you are open to it, along with the imaginary part of it, it will always change. So, so yeah, that's kind of got me sort of connected to that a bit more. It's so interesting because when, when uh, Andrea was talking about what she's kind of facing in the last few days, she's talking about reminding herself to be open to this, this issue of control and to give up control of something that, or to give up the desire or try to give up the the desire for control over something that she couldn't, you know, control because it's happening far away. And you're also in a way talking about the same the same thing, Gary, where you're saying that you cannot control things changing. They are going to change. Mm-hmm. That's just a fact. Uh, nothing will stay the same. And so if you, if you fight that, then you're going to be in, in trouble. But if you kind of say, well, no, this is what it is now, and I'm going to evaluate myself based on that, then, then, then there's a certain sense of giving up control there too. Right. If you fight it, you diminish yourself. It's as simple as that. Yeah. Or you just waste energy, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> if you look at everything as a, where do you want to spend your energy in fighting the inevitable uh, change or in just saying, oh, I'm going to go with this new reality. Right. That's cool. How about you? Um, well, I, you know, I think I was inspired by your story last time, Gary, of, of finding the book. I don't know. I, I didn't go set out to do this, but I was I was cleaning and I found my um, my copy of uh, Edgar Lee Masters' Spoon Rivers anthology, oh, which um, in uh, the Meisner technique, it's a it's a book of poems where they're used as uh, mon- for monologue work and for and to work on a piece of text that doesn't have. A partner and I, and I looked at it and I thought and I thought about Patrick Stewart is doing this thing where he's reading sonnets and posting them to social media and I thought, oh, that would be cool to read to read this and post it to social media. So, I think I'm going to start to do that. I haven't really spent a lot of time with with those um, those poems, but I think especially in today's world where we're kind of in a mass sense staring death or the possibility of death in the face that a, that a book of various characters reflecting on their life and how they lived it, uh, might be interesting to kind of get into. So I, I think that that's where I'm going to maybe focus if I have, if I find myself with a few moments. Sounds great. You should, you should. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. It'll be fun. I think. It'll be uh, a lot of fun. And you know, people will introduce people to it and then, yeah, you're right. It is a great little, um, anthology of poems that, uh, yeah, Meisner used to, um, do monologue work, but you know, which led to character work as they, they're a bunch of people from a, a, a village dead and alive. Or are they all dead? Can you, they're all dead. They're all dead. Yeah. They're all, all dead. dead. Yeah. They'll come back to relate some story that haunts them or not, uh, in relation to their, their, their life that they'd led. Yeah. Fantastic. I mean, yeah, great, great. it could be cool. 
It could be cool. I'm excited about doing it. I looked at it and I was like, this is, this is something, you know, and, but taking it again, I tend to go, oh, this is going to be a huge production and da, 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 and I'm going to make this happen. And, and I think it's okay to just kind of go, you know what, I'm just going to read these. And if I film them, I'll film them and put them up there. I think it'd be nice. Right. But if I don't, I don't. And, and I don't think I need to make something big out of it. You don't have to make something big out of it, but I do, th- I do think you should get, try and obtain a hat for every different character. Mm. Oh, nice. <laughs> what do you think, Andrea? <laughs> you, you on board with the hat? Yeah. <laughs> or some other piece of costume, but I'll try for a hat. Maybe one one emblematic piece of costume that that, that, that did. Okay, that I'll do. I'll do the men and the women too. Yeah, ex- of course. How many are there? There's a ton of them. There's loads of them. and There's, there's hundreds of them. Great, great sort of fuel for character work. Okay, good. Well, I'll, I'll, that'll, that'll be what I'm So recently, episode three launched, and we had some tremendous feedback about our self-taping episode. And we wanted to reply to one of our listeners, Fola Evans Akinbola, commented about the difficulty of choosing which take to submit. She feels there's a dilemma with really choosing the take that represents the work the best, the one that the agent is going to respond to, the casting director will respond to. She wants to know if she might be better off limiting herself to taking fewer takes or to reconsider her criteria for choosing the one that she will submit. So, gentlemen, do we have some ideas about this? It's a great question. When I've started to watch my self-tapes back, I start to develop an idea of what has got the type of energy that I like. And I also start to develop an idea of which ones that I submit get results, get a, get a callback or get, Mm -hmm. uh, get a casting from it. And so over the time I'm able to judge which takes I like and develop a taste for what I want to send. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I might send two if they're different to my agent and I'll process them the same, I'll, I'll put the titles so that my agent can basically send either one. And sometimes I'll just send one in and just say, this is the take that I want to go with. The difficulty obviously is in when your agent says, well, do you have something else or we, or we don't like that. And if you've shot a whole bunch of different kinds of takes on it and you have a few that are in different areas, then maybe you will have a take that you've shot that you can then send your agent. Yeah. I think that you make a great point about limiting to less takes is not necessarily going to be in your better interests. Uh, I do find that I also have a couple of spares and I often submit two to my representation and ask them to, you know, to, to look at them both and to, consider which one they feel is strongest. And they, it usually reflects the one that I prefer, but not always. And I don't delete them until I know something's been submitted, just in case. Gary, what are your thoughts I haven't on deleted all of this? You haven't deleted, haven't deleted anything? It. You've got a computer I, no, I, I just moved them all. I just moved them all to an external drive because I like, um, I don't know, I like having them. I have them from years mm-hmm. ago. Mm-hmm. Oh, this would be a fun movie. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I think it would be a, a copyright vol- violation. <laughs> what genre are we talking about? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is with a beard. This is without a beard. <laughs> you know, you're going to go from, you know, horror to melodrama to romance to... I might do it. You know. I might do it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's tricky because, again, no one likes to, you know, it's very hard to judge your own performance. Uh, and, and that is something you're quite right, Brian. You can build up, and I, it's something I try and teach people in class, uh, an inner barometer to their work, and which only comes through practice and understanding what it is you're, you're looking for. But it, it's developed over time. But I think I'm going to go in the other direction from you guys because she's asking, you know, I need to limit myself to, to less takes. I would say yes. I mean, um, and have better criteria for choosing. Yes. What is that better criteria? Well, for me, to enable yourself to not get in such a a confusion or or worry about which one to choose is prep like hell before mm-hmm. you get in front of the camera 
so that you have less chance of error. Of course, take from take is different, just like when you go on set. But I think the more takes you have, and maybe that's something you an actor can develop over time, is if they really spend a good amount of time preparing themselves so they really are ready or more than ready or chomping in the bit to get in front of the camera, then mm. they may feel that they only have to choose from a certain amount of takes. It's, it's, it's tricky because the more options you have, the more trouble you get into <laughs> with your choice. There's another thing in Fuller's feedback where she sends her tape to her agent one of her favorites, and he doesn't respond. And he says, mm-hmm. "Do you have anything else?" Yes. And she and then she sends her least favorite, and she says, "Oh, I, I like that." Yes. And I think that it's worth having a conversation mm-hmm. if you're getting that kind of feedback, because it's not necessarily, "Oh, I screwed up that take, and I did well in this one." It's a question of taste, and I think it's worth having a conversation with your representation if you're getting that kind of feedback back about what specifically mm-hmm. he's responding to in this take that he likes to send, and what specifically he's it's putting him off in this other take. What is it that is better in this take for marketing me to this mm-hmm. casting director? Because that's basically your agent's job is he has to sell you to the casting director mm-hmm. and, or he's got a business eye to it and saying, this is what we think is going to sell this part better mm-hmm. to a certain extent. If that's happening a lot where you're turning in tapes that you love and your agent isn't responding to them, that's also a question of, well, is this, I'm sorry to get into this, but that's also a question of, is this the right agent for you? If your agent is not responding to the work that you really like, that's either because you're not really on the same page with what is the work that you should be doing, or maybe there are lessons that your agent can teach you in a certain sense about what you need to do that's more sellable for the agent. And a really honest, I think you've said it really nicely, a really honest review for yourself of what it is that's disturbing you about the takes. What is your expectation and Mm. how, what are the criteria that you are using? And to be really forthright with yourself about that, because we, we often tend to be very critical. Um, sometimes it's an external thing that we get, you know, fascinated by or upset about Mm. when we're watching ourselves uh, sometimes it's internal or we, we really anticipate that it's got to look a certain way or come across a certain way, meet the casting description of the character, and we're not hitting all of those beats we feel, you know. So what is the what is that piece of criticism that you're leveling? And is it valid or is it getting in your way? Is it um, putting in your head a little bit about your performance? So I think it's you're right. It's a conversation with self and then certainly with agent to, to really review it and to try and detach yourself a little bit from, from that highly critical voice in a way that's supportive of the creativity that's happening in the moment and, and will allow you to be a little bit freer with your takes because Fola also mentions that she really loves going into the casting room and, and have that little nerves, the fluttering of the, of the butterflies and, um, so maybe she wants to be, uh, in a space where she feels about, feels more excited about the, the venture of the self tape. Thank you for your feedback as always. And Fola, we hope, we hope that helps. Yeah. Yeah. And we'd love to hear feedback on any of the points that we bring up. Uh, if you agree with them, if it hits you the wrong way, or if it's something that, uh, that, that strikes something else in you, um, definitely let us know. You can always let us know on our Facebook page at Vagabond Actors or on Twitter or Instagram. We, we read those comments. We incorporate them. We love hearing from other actors who are on the journey as well. And uh, certainly get in touch. This episode of Vagabond Actors is brought to you by WeAudition.com. Look, we all know that even in the best of times, it can be hard to find a perfect partner to rehearse and record your self-tape with. But now it's especially difficult because everyone has to do everything remotely. Believe me, the first self-tape I did during the quarantine was with a friend and we tried to do it over Facebook Messenger, but it was terrible. It was buggy, it was laggy, we couldn't see each other, we couldn't really hear each other. It was terrible, complicated, and not any fun. With WeAudition.com, they make it easy to find a great partner and they take care of all of the technical stuff so that you can focus on what really matters, giving a great performance and booking the job. 
Not only can you find a great partner, but you can also be a great partner. If you sign up with weaudition.com and register as a reader, you can actually earn money and help out others. There are a ton of other great benefits to being a WeAudition.com member, having one-on-ones with top-tier casting directors, getting career advice from industry professionals, and much, much more. Right now, WeAudition.com is offering a discount on membership to Vagabond Actors listeners when you sign up with the promo code VAGABOND25. Just go to WeAudition.com, click on the sign-up button, and then click on the link where it says promo code. Put VAGABOND25 into the promo code box, and you'll get 25% off your membership. And now, back to the show. I thought we'd, we'd move on to our main topic of discussion. And, and Gary, you, you know, we spent the last uh, few episodes talking quite a bit about business or about much more hierarching questions of solving the, the acting problem in terms of a uh, business sense. But uh, you wanted today to talk more about something a lot more in the nitty-gritty, down in the trenches of it. Yeah, I, I just thought it would be nice to, you know, mix it up a bit and just talk ab- about one element of acting technique that is quite universal and goes back, you know, to the origins, to the beginnings of, of acting technique, and, and that is the actor's objective or the character's objective or the character's want. Mm. And, um, and, you know, I think, I don't think there's many actors out there who don't know what that is, at least. Uh, well, they've heard it. They've, they've heard, heard the phrase, if, even if they don't know what that is, they've heard it right, about they've it. heard the phrase and it's, it's universal and it goes all the way back to, you know, the godfather of acting technique, Stanislavski. And it came out of the need to address uh, the development of dramatic writing at the end of the 1800s and the beginning of the 1900s, the 19th century, the 20th century, and, and, and to better deal with the writing that was coming out of, uh, that was more psychologically driven and was coming out of like Chekhov, Stringberg, Ibsen, and all of that. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the reason is, is, is I've noticed in class when I teach and coaching too that there's a myriad of ways that people have of understanding the utility of an objective, what what its purpose is, what it is, uh, and and how they name it. And I just wanted to sort of open it up to you guys and have a bit of a discussion and see, you know, what people's various views on it is, uh, but also if it is something that you perhaps use, uh, is it useful? And if it is useful, what, how do you go about using it? It's sort of efficacy. It's actual practical application. Because, you know, there's so much confusion out there with acting technique, with all the nomenclature and labels and jargon. And uh, it's just one thing that I, I believe is essential and I believe is the first point of call for any actor addressing a scene. Now, there's many ways into a scene, but I believe that before you get into character, before you get into given circumstances, emotion, an actor has to have a dramatic understanding of the scene, understand the scene on a dramatic level. And because a scene, more often than not, whether explicit or implicit, is, is, is a conflict, and obstacles creating this conflict because of what people want in a scene, then uh, I believe that's the first port of call. Um, you know, and what I mean by confusion is, for instance, I was recently working with an actor on something, and I and I said, so you know, what, what does your what does the character want in this scene? And he said, power. I want power. And I'm like, that's a pretty lofty concept. You know, I mean, first of all, how do you pay? It's hard to act that. Yeah, exactly. It's hard to it's hard to do that. Mm -hmm. It's very hard to do that. And I and I and I said, look, I'm not. You know, maybe that's one of the things he's hoping to achieve, or maybe subconsciously he's looking to, or consciously. Overall, maybe you know that's something a need he has in life. I don't know. We haven't got there yet. But 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 my question is: is what? to him was, well, what needs to happen? Let's say he does want power of some sort overall, but what needs to happen in this scene in order for him to achieve that power? Well, this, that, the other, and you know, and it turns out that it was like, well, you just want this woman to run away with you. <laughs> so that's what you want, right? That's, that's the story of this scene. That's, that's, that's what you want. 
I'm often confronted with sort of big concepts when it comes to objectives. And I, I believe there's a there's a simpler way of viewing them and there's a, a simplicity to them that is there to fuel you in, 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 in the scene. So, yeah, I mean, my, my question over to you really is, is, one, how do you view objectives? Do you use them in, in your work? And if so, how do you practically go about doing that? Well, I, I mean, I really appreciate the the idea that we need to dig into this a little bit, because I do think that the language around this can cause confusion for actors and it it can put them in their heads where, you know, there's like this little second self that's watching everything you do. And, and sometimes when we're performing or rehearsing, we're experiencing that there's that there's that you know watching ourselves over our shoulders and not really being in the scene but monitoring it judging it assessing it routing it a certain way you know all of that and um certainly part of what the meisner work is trying to do is to get us into a, a more instinctive and and present state and so i find that somehow uh my experience with mostly american actors is that the idea of the objective sometimes creates a struggle because it gets like the, like the example that you gave Gary, I want power. Well, I don't know how to act that goodness gracious. I mean, we've been talking about succession. There's a bunch of people who want power, but look at the many different ways in which they're going about seeking it and the many different ways in which they employ in any given scene. You know, um, I, I think that sometimes it's been helpful for me and for our students to think of it a little bit differently linguistically. And I have to say that I really loved reading, um, Clerman's on directing years ago. It's still sort of one of my go-tos because I think the way that he puts it together, this idea of you know, Stanislavski's objective, super objective, you know, the vertebrae and the spine. Clerman really talked more about the spine of a character, the spine of a piece, the through line. Uh, I think it's important that, a, that an actor land upon some language that they feel comfortable with that puts it in their bodies more than in their brains. And sometimes I think when we talk about objective, super objective beats, all of that, to me, that's that, that keeps an actor up in the head. Um, literally the word beats is like, we're counting things out, you know, in the middle of a scene. And we don't do that in life. You know, I'm not having a conversation with you and counting out when that next beat is going to happen. It happens organically because of how we're connecting or how I'm trying to express myself to you and what I get back from you, whether or not I feel understood whether I feel I need to still push a point, whether I'm so enraged I can't stop myself. You know, there's there's so many reasons for for things, and sometimes I think we 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 see actors getting stuck in this space, which isn't particularly helpful to them ultimately. So, for me, I'll talk about it in terms of the spine, because that to me is more visceral. And it literally puts me in the idea of the body more than the brain, where I think about what's that thing that's holding me up and how does it hold me up? And is it weak and brittle or is it strong? Is it defiant? You know, what's that thing? And, and then sometimes in, in great scripts, you know, a character's spine, that thing they most want gets broken, gets busted apart. Um, we see that so often. Many of our heroes just get absolutely torn apart by the circumstances. And and then what happens? That thing that they've been striving for through the whole story, um, it's denied them sometimes in brutal ways. And then what's left of them, you know? Um, that to me is more engaging and visceral than the idea of an objective personally. So for me, my, my first tip to an actor would be if you find that even the language around an objective super objective gets you freaked out find another way to think about it find a way to think about it that is of the body that 
calms you and energizes you rather than flips you out thinking, I don't know if I have the right answer, you know? Hmm. Well, second piece I think is that, um, it gets you then into thinking about doings. We talk about in, in, in our training, we talk about what are you doing in this moment? What are you doing in this section? What are you doing in this scene? And when you think of it in terms of active verbs, um, it's so much easier. You know, if my, if my doing is to seduce you at this moment and to challenge you now and um, to mock you in the next moment, then I'm going to be clear and I'm probably going to be creative because that doing is going to come uniquely out of me and it's going to be flavored by how I feel about the other character and the circumstances. So how you do a seduction, how I do a seduction with those five lines is going to be entirely unique. And then we're functioning from a point of clarity and also creativity. That's the second point that I would like to, to, to make is that we have to acknowledge that, that an objective is, has got to be an active thing. And it can really change in a moment-to-moment way. And I think Shakespeare is one of the great examples of that when you really break it down. I mean, you, you're, you're doing what you're trying to accomplish can be changing just on a moment. From line to line, what you're doing can change. And if you're functioning with that in mind, it's just, to me, a much healthier, spontaneous, creative, and inventive way to be present to your acting partner. And sometimes it really begins with a very simple conversation. You know, you sit down with your scene partner, you have the reading, you've got the paper in front of you, you're taking your time with it, you're picking up the words off the page, glancing down if you need to, but you're really having that conversation. And then you're a teacher or you ask yourselves, what is the scene about? Really simply, what is the scene about? And generally speaking, you can uncover in five minutes, you know, sort of the heart of this idea of objectives, super objectives, obstacles, etc. But you're not labeling it in a way that makes you feel like you're filling out a form. When you think of it in terms of what's happening here? Well, I want to adopt her baby because I've had a, you know, I've had miscarriages and I just don't know if she's going to accept me. I really want her to like me and I want her to choose me. You know, when you're working from a human place and then you yourself as an actor are starting to approach the material in an open, vulnerable way, you're receiving your instinctive information about it. Your creative mind is already at work. I think sometimes when an actor sits down and starts writing out notes on the page, what is my objective? What is my super objective? What are my obstacles? What are the beats? Then they're just, they're in a state of analysis rather than in a state of reception and feeling. And, um, and sometimes that can be a trip up. So. That's so cool. It's so funny. Listen, hearing you, um, hearing you say like, you don't have to write it on the page. I don't know. Maybe it's me. I don't know. But there's so many times when I will assume that, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what's, I know what's going on here. Right. But if I, and, and so I'll kind of like brush over it because, because sometimes finding a, a simple, meaningful, specific action-based thing that you're doing Mm -hmm. when the scene is not Shakespeare, but is, you know, the, the CW uh, uh, show that you're auditioning for and you're basically just a guest star, you know, like, you know, when, when you're, when you're not the, the lead of this, of the, of the show, it can be a real challenge to do it and having some, um, some experience, you can kind of go, yeah, 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 it'll be fine. I kind of know what I, I kind of get a feeling for this, (laughs) but sometimes for me, the challenge of, of actually writing down on the page, what do I want? Why did I come into this scene? What do I need to get from them? Mm -hmm. Or what am I trying to make them do? 
that helps to keep me honest about it because it's so easy to just kind of go, yeah, 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 I'll figure it out, you know? Right. But again, like we were talking about last time, it, because everyone is different mm. and everyone functions differently, sometimes the pressure of that is going to put you in your head mm-hmm. and that's not great. And sometimes yeah. not doing that is going to make you go easy on yourself. And so that's not yeah. great. So you, So I think everyone needs to find whatever their happy medium is because you have to, do you have to, you have to know anytime you step in front of a camera or step out on the stage, you have to know why you're there. Oh, you have totally. to know what you're trying yeah. to, you have to know what you're trying to get. And, and I'm not, I'm not think, saying no, don't write on your pages. No, I mean, no, no. All over no, your no, no. Pages, but in a way that, that yeah. you're giving yourself something to act and that's real and human and not an right. idea where you're being the right actor. You know, you're doing yeah. the right You're not right filling thing. out a form in yeah. a, in a, in a bureaucratic way. Yeah. 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 I was just, I was just like, Oh my God, I write it down on my page. Like what is going on? Yeah. Okay. I have a story for you. I have a really quick story for you, Brian. Can I tell you this? Okay. Go do it. So I was doing a play that meant a great deal to me, um, called burn this by Lanford Wilson. Still one mm, of the most important great, a great play. Yeah. Pieces that I've ever done for myself at the time was really like life and death. And, um, there is a scene, you know, in the, in the story, um, the female character, Anna, has, is falling for somebody who, who is uh, a very difficult, challenging character, but they're, they're absolutely linked psychically. And, um, and he comes back at one point and there's, he's really busting other relationships and, and, her life open at this moment and he's been drinking and, um, she's, she's got, she's pushing him out. She's like, you know, leave me alone. He starts a fight the whole thing. Well, I struggled with this scene because I knew how much deep down I really wanted this man in my life. Right. Hmm. And so getting him, to leave was very difficult. It's like I would almost fall into myself. It's like an abused woman saying, you've got to go, you've got to go. But really at the same time, the body is saying, please stay. I can't live without you. Don't go. (laughs) Yeah. And my director said, just get him out. Like that's all you need to know about the scene. You understand mm-hmm. every, 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 everything else about this. Just in, just get him out. And yeah. I had to write it really clearly in my script. And every show before I went out, I had to tell myself because I knew I would fall into a morass of emotion around him, wanting him and not being clear about what I was doing. Yeah. I had to, tell myself, just get him out, just get him out, get him out, get him out. And then, then it all worked, you know, that's all yeah. I needed. But I had to write it down for myself. And this was after months and months of working on the play and knowing it left and right and upside down um, through my whole being. But I had to still remind myself that in the scene, I had to get him out. Otherwise it wasn't going to work. It was going to be too muddy and messy and emotional. And yeah. That and brings up an interesting question, that's though. That brings up, act, though. That's something to act. But that brings up a really interesting question, right? Mm-hmm. Because, and I think this is true in both film and, and stage work, mm-hmm. but there's something, I think, to knowing the the broad strokes or the super object, you know, the, the what what's the arc of the entire piece and where you might be along it at any point in the piece, right? There's something to knowing all of that stuff. I think there's also, you know, the story to a large extent is going to be told because the script tells it, right? Because the actions that are blocked into the script, um, if it's on camera, the way that the camera moves or whatever, you know, all the other elements that go into it, that there, that's going to be there you anyway, Right. And so there's there's a real question. And I would like to ask you guys about this. Right. Because sometimes you feel like maybe if you just do the simple thing that is just right for this moment 
and not worry about the rest of it, mm-hmm. then can you, you know, you can create a performance that is, it's, it's not that you would forget about everything, but you just don't focus on it. It's kind of like you let it be there simmering away in the background, but the thing that you're doing, the, what, what I would call the objective, that thing that you're doing or that thing that you're trying to get from the other person or that behavior that they're trying to get them to do so that you know that you've got it, um, that thing is the only thing that you're really focused on. Mm-hmm. And to, to really narrow it down in that way and then see what happens because the story, sometimes if you are trying to do the story, you will overpower yeah. You will overpower the story. Instead of saying, I just need to get this one little piece, this one thing that is really important right now, but I don't need to tell the entire story of the play when I'm when I'm getting this piece. All I need to do is get this piece. And however it hits me, how whatever the other person's doing, you know, because you're doing a script or because you're improvising along certain predefined circumstances that you've agreed on before, then, then the story will tell itself. And I think, I think there's something to that. When I'm teaching and you ask people about objectives, being in Prague, I think a lot of the people that are coming to me for, for, for guidance are just at the start of their, of their professional career. So they don't have a lot of experience. They're quite new to the game. So the questions that they're asking are quite different maybe than, than what you might get in a class in London or new or, or LA. Although, you know, I think some of the same questions come up. So one of the interesting things that a lot of the first people, and I just want to caution anyone out there, uh, who's, this is their first crack at an objective. If, if it is to get someone to understand something or to hear you say something that's not a place where you want to end up right fine it's fine as a first crack at it but so many times um people go well i want them to understand something and it's never good yeah so so that's my experience as a teaching it just just you know something has to happen in order for them to understand that's what you want so so you want to make it i think as specific Yes. As possible and specific to behavior as possible. So some action needs to happen as a result of this, or some, you need to see some, some behavior in your partner, uh, as what your objective is, right? They need to give you something or they need to have a certain look in their eye or something like that. Because when you're looking at, oh, I I need to, I I need them to love me. Well, well, what does that mean? You know, what, what will it be that you can see that they, when you get it and when you don't get it in a lot of good scenes, uh, sometimes one of the characters objectives will be kind of obvious, right? And the other one will be a little bit nebulous. And so one of the things that I found just as a very technical kind of thing is if, if you can put the thing that each person wants at odds with each other or opposite like in direct opposition so that you can't both get what you want, then that's probably where you want to look for the nebulous one, the one that you can't quite figure out. If character A wants character B to stay, then character B wants to, wants to leave, you know, or wants to get permission to leave or wants the other person to leave. Right. So the opposite. Exactly. So you can't both get what you want. And, and, uh, that's what I would say. Okay. So now Gary, you were, you were about to say something. No. Uh, yeah. I mean, it, but you see, it's a fucking can of worms, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it is, but yeah. that's what, you know, that's what makes it fun. Right. Yeah. And the thing is, is I agree with what you say and there's some of it I take exception to and don't agree with. And that's just a, Ooh, that's just, how a, dare you? But it's not so much, it's more in the detail rather than the understanding of it, but it's a huge thing. And it's like one thing, but then it's can, can cause so much confusion. I mean, I totally agree with Andrea that it's, it, it can, and often, often does become an academic exercise and it yeah. shouldn't be. It's just theory. It's not literary English literary analysis. It's not text mm-hmm. analysis. For me, it's scenic breakdown because, right. because the language of dramatic writing is action. And that's it. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, it was Elia yeah. Kazan, the great director Elia Kazan said, I will say nothing to an actor that cannot be translated into action. 
Yeah. And, you know, you, you, we have different words for that. Doing, right? You've talked about doing. What am I doing? What are the doings? You've got to be doing something. Instead of asking the question, what do I want? It's like, what am I doing? You know, you can get to it that way too. And, I, you know, for me, doing is, is, is you know, is it. But it is a minefield. And, it, and the danger is it can get academic. And I often... Um, come across actors who say, okay, they, they discover what the character might want. For instance, let's take your example, uh, Brian. I want you to tell me you love me. It's a simple thing, right? And often mm-hmm. is, a, is, a, is a classic one. Um, okay, now what? That's information. Now what? Mm-hmm. That's in your head. Now what? You know, and and n- no acting te- no acting tool and objective being an acting tool is included in this is that everything in acting should result as you all i'm sure you will agree in behavior yeah. so the thing is of if the character which is a fiction wants you know i don't know let's say romeo wants juliet to tell him he loves him i don't know if that's an actual scene but let's just you know for the sake of it uh okay so that's what's in, implicitly or explicitly written into the scene from one character's point of view. That's the purpose of them coming into this scene to f- extract uh, a confession or to extract the thing that they tell them that they love them. So, okay, then then what? Well, picking up on what you said, Brian, is that you may want something, but you wanting something, I, Romeo, or I, Gary, or I, Blanche Dubois, you discover that you, I want something in the scene, but you're not that person. That's a fiction. So then you've got to take an extra step from my point of view. And this is, brings in what you were talking about, Brian, and, and maybe you know you got straight to it without this intermediary sort of point that I'm making um, because you're experienced. I'm very direct. I'm American. Exactly. Yeah, it's, it's my Americanism. But, yeah. but yeah. you know, well, you know, but, yeah. <laughs> but, but you're also experienced. And I think with Andrea, she's experienced. And I think the idea of, you know, not having to get too hung up on it is because all of that wealth of information and experience is really in there. Whereas you get a young actor and they don't know what a piece of dramatic writing is and how it's constructed. David Mamet, you know, he says the first thing an actor should do is understand dramatic writing before he does anything. So because that's what you're coming into contact with. And the fact that it's it's written in action and it's written in broken down. If you break it down there, the writer has written conflict and in, in drama, there is, there are obstacles and conflict. Now we don't have to get involved in that necessarily from an academic point of view, but I think it helps a young actor to understand where their emphasis is and what, what in order as a storyteller, mm-hmm. I think it helps them to understand, but let's just go back to, I want you to tell me you love me then, okay, that's what the character wants in the scene, but how are you going to play that? Now, you've got to make that active for yourself. And for me, you know, simply defined an objective is the active pursuance of a specific goal. And in this instance, it's I want you to tell me you love me. But there's something getting in the way. And this is what you were talking about, Brian. For Mm -hmm. me, if you understand how the other the other side, the other character is acting, which is often the opposite, that's where you've got to put your attention. And therefore, you've got to get them to do whatever it is you've got to get them to do in order to tell them that they love you. Because right now they're preventing, something is preventing them from telling them they love you. So your point of focus has to be on getting them Mm -hmm. to do that one thing like um, take a risk or be brave because they're unsure about whether they will commit. If that's their behavior, that's what the behavior is coming across. So I think, you know, an objective or understanding what the character wants can be academic and it just stays there. That's just information. But then you've got to find a way of turning that into the actor being active and understanding, okay, well, the character wants this person to tell them they love them. How are they behaving? Well, they're being reticent. They aren't sure. They're being fearful of committing. Okay, well, I see that because I'm a diligent actor who's looking at the other side of things too. And I go, well, I've got to get them to be brave. And if I get them to be brave, because that's what's getting in the way, you could call it an obstacle if you want to have a label, then I am really going after something. I'm actively getting someone to either do something for me, uh, give me something, or change the way they view a situation, their point of view, which was kind of what you were talking about, uh, Brian. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you take I want, which keeps you on I, to I'm getting you 
to do something, which then drives you into the other person, which we all love doing, getting into the other person. And I get you to do a certain thing because of what's getting in the way. And that's kind of how I see it. Now, that can sound complex, but when you really get an understanding of how a scene is written, then it's not such a such a hard thing to grasp. And, and, and another thing that you said, Brian, is it actually strips it down into a very simple thing where you can put your focus on in this scene. So you don't have the burden of telling the whole story. You tell the story mm. of this scene. And then we as an audience will piece it together. If your, focus, exactly. if your point of concentration is this scene for me, basically, what's the, when I ask an actor, what is this scene about? And often they go off and go, well, it's about the inhumanity of war or it's about relationships. <laughs> and I'm like, no, it's not. It's not. It's, not. it's about you, like you were talking about, Andre, it's about you getting the fuck out of there or getting him to get the fuck out of there. Yeah. You know, the inhumanity of war will come at the end of the seat, at the end yeah. of the film of the play when all the constituent parts will add up to that. Yeah. Ch- change a want into a need. And that need is I'm getting you to do something. And if you're getting the other person to do something and they're doing that back because it's written that way, then Mm -hmm. you have a very uh, alive, dynamic situation where obviously never the twain to meet in good scenes because that's conflict. But in the doing of it, you adjust moment to moment, as Andrea was saying. That's got to always happen. You've got to leave it all alone. But if that is something that is sparking you into the scene it will be your barometer and it'll be your touchstone and a frame of reference that Mm -hmm. will always keep you true Mm -hmm. to the point of the scene right excellent right good well i I think we've cleared it up pretty well i think (laughs) nobody should have any questions after this but if you do uh let us know um about it we'd love to hear specific examples of challenging uh scenes that might be difficult to kind of parse out what the objective is or something that you might have come up with so definitely let us know but yeah absolutely i mean there's going to be more to talk about with this kind of stuff and more specific examples that we can delve into later but for now let's see what are you looking forward to in the next week let's let's do that unless you have something else prepared but what are you what are you kind of looking ahead at uh, Andrea, what's on your horizon? Well, I'm sitting at a wooden table, so I'm going to knock on wood that uh, <laughs> uh, a week from now we will have successfully closed the sale of our property, which is, you know, has a obviously a strong emotional component to it. Um, mm. And that I will feel less like I've got, you know, one foot in on either side of the Atlantic and, uh, and maybe I can develop more of my focus on what I'm doing here and what my plans are here in Spain. Um, that's the sort of big emotional piece of it in terms of material that I'm looking forward to. I'm looking forward to, um, to, I've been digging in a bit on um, on some technology pieces and also um, doing some webinars on learning some specifics about our markets here in Europe. So I hope to, you know, get a little bit further along with all of that. And cool. uh, in terms of the art that's out there... Gosh, I don't know. Like I said, oh, so we were going to talk about some good news. SGN, John, yeah. Cruz, he's doing yeah. thing, and you can find it on YouTube. And he's done, I think, now two episodes. And um, BuzzFeed somehow came up in my feed and led me to this the second episode. But it was really a sweet story. When you look at it, um, there's an ease that he has with his work so often, and that he brings to this piece, and that the flavor, the tone of it, is easy and lovely. There is obviously some great editing going on and some really strong choices. Um, so don't yeah, he's got some people working yeah, on it, some people working on it and yeah, yeah. the sort of the final, the final part of it, you, you know, uh, that it, it's been edited well and it's been thought through well in order to, to have been accomplished the way it was. I'll just say that. So, you know, it's always good to, 
acknowledge for yourself and respect the collaboration that brings any of these pieces to life for us. Um, so take a look at that. We've also been listening to a lot of blues music around here. We're really trying to figure out how to get a number of musicians together in a live format, all from their different places, and create something. So we've been studying and listening to a lot of great blues music, from Fats Domino to the Siegel Schwal Band. If you are a blues fan and you don't know about Corky Siegel, who disclaimer happens to be a personal friend of mine but is one of the most talented blues pianists around um check out corky siegel um he's done some phenomenal work so we've been listening to a lot of corky's work and um and a number of compilations from blues musicians so that's that's where we are trying to get some energy here in in um into ourselves and and ready for our next phase that's about to begin as soon as i sell this damn property awesome awesome what about you gary what are you looking forward to in the next in the next week or so in the next week or so i'm i i I think i'd like to um maybe read a book that i you know sort of for leisure because the last few weeks have been full on and because of everything else obviously that's been going on there's been a lot of fallout from courses and classes and and having to deal with sort of the admin and the, the the business side of it and there's been a lot of coaching transferred online and 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 i'm slowly seeing the light at the end of the tunnel in terms of you know there's a bit more um time um uh, uh, available uh, i'm seeing next week maybe in the next couple of weeks while we're still in lockdown so mm. I, I, i've been devoting myself to work so i'm just looking forward to maybe picking up a fiction book and just having some time now the weather's getting better to sit on my balcony and read a maybe a, maybe read a um, Raymond Chandler or a John le Carre spy novel I'm, I'm, I like the genre there you go so, nice. yes. so something like that yeah John le Carre spy novel I think that from this you know the cold war or something like that very atmospheric that gorgeous and that you sounds gorgeous well um I am looking forward to uh, getting out of the house a little bit more. I'm looking forward to enjoying what is becoming more spring weather and blooming trees. And I'm looking forward to delving in, like I said at the beginning, to delving into this um, Edgar Lee Masters book and, and, and seeing what I can come up with and seeing if... Uh, if I will rise to the challenge of uh, looking at these at these wonderful poems, um, yeah, it's a little scary. Uh, it's a little scary, I have to say, but I think it'll be good. I should do it. I, I've I've spent I've been spending way too much time watching. Um, there's a oh god, this is embarrassing, but uh, there's I'm watching way too many full flights like from cockpits of people in a simulator and in real life watching people fly from one place to another i think it's my desire to be free of my apartment but um but i just am spending hours doing that i think i should put it to better use so i'm gonna i'm gonna delve into this edgar lee masters right poem and and see what comes of it and and just before we go so where where can people uh, find you guys what do what, what are your handles where do, where do we get you in case people have questions or, or want to get in contact with you? Yeah, I'm on Instagram. I think it's at Andrea Helene three and on Twitter at Andrea Helene. And I'm on Facebook as well. And I'd love to hear from anybody. That's great. Gary, what about you? Where, where are you at? Yeah, people can, if they want, contact me uh, through my website, www.garycondes.com, C-O-N-D-E-S. Um, or via Instagram, social media, Facebook, um, at Gary Condes. All right. And I am uh, Brian Casp, B-R-I-A-N-C-A-S-P-E. Um, and I think that is my handle on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. So just uh, look us up. And if you have questions, if you want to get some coaching and you happen to be in London, uh, definitely look up Gary. He's a great coach. If you are, or you could look up any of us. We're all great coaches. We're all, we all rock. And, uh, and all of us have time to, to coach and look at your, your look at your pieces. And so, um, and in this day you know, just, of, um, remote, Exactly. It doesn't matter. You could could look at any of us. Exactly. Um, So just pick the one you like the best and then uh, get in contact with that one. Um, (laughs) So uh, from all of us here, um, Vagabond Actors. Who likes the best? 
you just gave me a new super objective. Yeah. Now I want to be liked the best. There you go. There you go. Uh, so yeah. from all of us here, this has been uh, Vagabond Actors. What was, he, what was he there he was doing, Andrea, there? What did he do? Oh, gosh. All right. And, We're how, gonna... and how did he do okay. it? <laughs> okay, so <laughs> you know what I did, and you know what you did. All right, so everyone, good night. Have a great uh, night. Yeah. Be safe. Stay at home while you need to. Um, I think we can take a lesson from what Gary said. Practice empathy. All right, yeah. I'll leave you with that. Great. And, uh, and everyone. talk to you next time. Stay Bye. Safe.